Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, there are some spring blank phrases that I love. Spring break is a good one. Uh, spring training is a good one. Spring garden, spring home, spring flowers. Uh, I even like spring equinox or spring cleaning is not so bad, but spring forward or spring ahead is kind of a tough one, isn't it? Well, these weeks we're asking the question, are you following what's happening in the world? Uh, to some extent, everybody does. Some of us are kind of reclusive hermits. We're uh, hermetically sealed in some type of uh, uh, news, you know, capsule. We're not keeping up uh, so much. You're probably the happier ones in the group. But uh, some of us on the other end of the uh, spectrum are watching uh, everything that unfolds. But no matter where you are there, uh, things are trending. Uh, injustice and unrest politically and racially and economically, the divide is growing. There's lockdowns and isolation. There are new realities that we're all walking through. I've been talking to leaders, had a meeting with leaders this week in different uh, spheres of influence in our city. And every leader that I know, including me, are walking through new realities and unknowns about our future. So we're asking this question. You saw it on the screen in our sermon bumper video that Daniel Hicks carefully crafted. Hey, does it seem to you, and this could be personal, does it seem to you that things are going from bad to worse? I can't answer that question for you, but it seems like pastorally, in my experience, that a lot of us are saying yes, or I think it, the answer is yes. But perspective is a big thing. In fact, I've um, been able to bounce back. I've been able to practice resiliency. I've been able to overcome. I've seen God rescue, redeem, and deliver me, uh, in some cases, just using the gift of perspective. And we're in these four weeks leading up to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, we're gaining some perspective from an epistle, that's a church word, I'll stop that, from a letter written a long time ago uh, by a man named Peter, and things were trending in the wrong direction. And he was saying to them, in the midst of all that doesn't seem so hopeful, have hope in the midst of this hurt. And what was their hurt? Persecution, mistreatment, discrimination. There were um, acts of violence perpetrated against them. Uh, uh, Time and time again, and this is a group of people who had, many of them fled Rome and fled Jerusalem. They were dispersed. They were scattered abroad. And Peter's writing to them. uh, their, Their families were turning on them. They had to go to new places. They were living in a foreign land and uh, an emperor who ran the show. I'm I'm happy and proud. Our country is far from perfect, but I'm kind of happy for democracy in many ways. But uh, there's an emperor and he was growing increasingly insane in the membrane, insane in the brain. And he uh, burned Rome. It was a secret of his. It was stealth and clandestine and covert, but he he, uh, set fire to Rome and he was, his plan was to rebuild uh, this master city. He had plans and so he didn't want to be blamed for it so he took the mistreated Christians and he scapegoated them and you'll remember week one if you study this historically in the first century you'll you'll learn that Nero had two specific charges really three he, he, they considered them to be atheists because they didn't believe in him the emperor god and then he also accused them and it, it ran rampant that the Christians uh, that they were cannibals, they hid, they had to hide. You know, today, uh, even on spring forward Sunday and spring break, you, you got to get in your car probably and drive here and you had freedom. We sang about the freedom that the Lord brings and we have freedom in our country to worship in open assembly. And uh, that was not so true of these people. And Nero was saying to them, scapegoating them, saying that these Christians were 
cannibals. They talked about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus, and they were doing this in secret, smaller assemblies. The church gathered not in the temple courts as much, but in their homes, house to house, as Acts said it in Acts uh, 2 and Acts 4, etc. And another charge was that there were incestual relationships. Uh, these uh, folks loved each other deeply. First Peter 1, 21 would say, it gives us this command to love each other deeply from the heart. And they called each other brothers and sisters. We have a father, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one heavenly father who's above all, in all, and through all. And we are therefore brothers and sisters. So we love each other deeply from the heart. If you love each other deeply from the heart, can I just say, you don't look down at your devices all the time. It's face-to-face relationships. So Nero took that, that good, virtuous, godly, noble thing and turned it into scapegoating them. And so here are these people and here's what they're going through. So in week one, we looked at the idea of hope. Peter wanted to impress the hope. He called it a living hope. It doesn't perish. It's imperishable. It doesn't fade, rot, or spoil. And you have it in Christ Jesus, the divine power that you have. It's a living hope. So week one, Peter impresses uh, upon us the word hope. And last week, John Wood did an excellent job talking about that second H word, the word holiness. The call is that you wouldn't be a weird. The call isn't that you would be stodgy or holier than thou, but that you and I would live differently. Our lives would be distinct. In order to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, it's not about perfection, but it's about direction. What life, what direction is your life headed? And Peter's saying holiness matters, that our Father is holy and you and I are called to be holy. And this week, the third H word that Peter wanted to impress upon his listeners, you and I, even today, is this word honor. And here's how he put it in 1 Peter 2.17 in the ESV. It says to honor everyone. Now, if you study the original Greek, everyone means that. You know, there's sort of a preacher joke that gets tired on people, but there's nothing fancy. There's nothing open to misinterpretation here. To honor everyone does mean actually everyone. Now, let's stop for a second. But let me ask you, what would it look like if we followed this one simple command? Well, preacher, I know the pushback, right? Well, so they're not, they're different political perspective, different race, different ethnicity, different tribe than me. They have, they voted for the other person. Here's what they think about welfare reform and immigration and reparation. Here's what they think. Uh, they're not who I am. Here's, here's a comment they made on social media, a like, a tweet, a retweet, or whatever. And it's so easy for us. In fact, it's just natural. It's the inclination of the human spirit to rise up and say, I don't want to honor everyone. I want to honor my people. I want to honor my tribe. Look, I want to honor people who honor me. But the, the command is that you and I, as Jesus followers, would honor everyone one more time what would it look like if you and i followed this one simple command paul to the church at rome in romans 12 would say outdo one another in showing honor that's a good competition uh, anybody competitive you, you guys watching from home today anybody competitive when you're doing something you look around to see how you're doing in relation to how other people are doing i'm taking my boys they'll both be here at the 11 o'clock service and we're going to jump over we hope to the stadium here the lights are on and we're going to go see jsu play some football today there's a competition and you look around to see it's not just how many points you scored but it's how many points the other and you compare your points versus the other points At the end of the game, and many of us live with an internal scorecard. Some of us live with an external scorecard. We call it out. Hey, hey, you know, here's how I'm doing compared to other people. Comparison, competition can be a thief of joy. 
It can rob you of tranquility. It can steal God's work and your life of flourishing and being healthy and being happy. But Paul gives counterintuitive Christian wisdom. He says, hey, look around and see how other people are honoring people. Find some people that are honoring people and then outdo them in showing honor. And Peter would say to honor everyone. But imagine this. You'll have to use your imagination here for, for real. But this command, this simple command to honor everyone was not being honored by everyone. Can you imagine that? In fact, there were um, two groups of people that were not being honored. Before we get into that, two areas, I want to share with you some statistics. This is a population thing, a gender comparison thing. In modern-day China, there's 115 men to 100 women. And folks would say that there's an unhealth to this. And some of you already know possibly where I might be going here. There's a control here, there's fear and intimidation and great problems. In the United States, by comparison, there are 97 men to 100 women. Fellas feeling better about everything right now? Northern Asia Minor, this is the time when Peter was writing this, um, this letter. It was 140 men to, uh, to 100 women. And this uh, was... Um, a tremendous is a tremendous problem in fact just to tell you some of you may be dialed in but they write books about this today there was a bestseller in 1990 and then 20 years later in 2010 another book about this problem of population control and discrimination against women and the gender gap and with this 140 to 100 it created societal problems rich families were looking for brides for their sons and poor families were selling their girls, many times young girls, 12-ish years old even, uh, into marriage, into sex slavery, et cetera, et cetera. So the two areas of two arenas that were not being honored were women and marriage. Prostitution, getting a sex was uh, on demand. Abortion was rampant. Uh, I won't tell you much about it, but it was incredibly brutal and always initiated by the men. Terrible. Women and marriage were not seen as treasures. They were seen as trash. And how do you handle the trash? What's in, in these bags, like uh, at your house, it's stuff that you've used and now it's disposable. You no longer need it. And so what do you do? It's out with it. I no longer have use for you. I'm going to put it in there and then I'm going to take it to the street and they're going to take it to wherever they take it. We don't think much about waste management, do we? But they take it to wherever they take it. I guess there's enough room for us to keep on making this stuff. But, you know, I don't know about your household, but if you have both genders, if you have male and female in your house, let me ask you, who handles this duty? You guys do chores? We don't have enough chores at my house. That's probably one of the problems of my family. But it, let me ask you, if you're married, a husband, wife, who, who does the trash? You guys could talk to me if you would. You have, you have kids. Who, who typically, I mean, is this, this is, again, gender stereotype things can, can run deep for good or ill. But oftentimes, it's the men of the house, or it's the boys that take it out. Uh, my garbage can at home, I noticed I stole this one from the church for sermon illustrative purposes, but uh, ours says brute on it. 
brute is what's on the side there. And that's how we can treat trash. Isn't that how you treat trash? It's the opposite of top shelf, uh, exquisite, rare china and fine things. Trash is to be just discarded. I noticed a neighbor, uh, their boy, uh, two of their boys actually, but the older one usually takes out the trash. He just rollerblades. He's real aggressive with how he, how he treats the trash, how he rolls it out there. One time I remember thinking, man, that can, this, this thing isn't going to last long the way he's treating it. Of course, the garbage guys don't treat it that well either, but who cares because it's not treasure. It's trash. And into this, into this challenge to live differently, to be distinct, Peter says to honor everyone. But the simple command of honor everyone was not being honored by everyone. And what was viewed as trash was women and marriage. This is no exaggeration. It's a point of historical fact. Consider a letter written by a husband to his pregnant wife in the first century. It went like this. I ask you to take good care of our baby son, and as soon as I receive payment, I shall send it up to you. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. No exaggeration with this garbage can and trash bags. No exaggeration when I talk to you about the historical reality of something called exposure. Exposure was when uh, many female children were born, certainly not all, but many female children were born and almost all males with disabilities. And the children, uh, I don't mean to be blasphemous here, but wrapped in swaddling clothes would be set out in the elements on a heap literally viewed as trash and so exposure would be their way to depart this life and this reality jesus comes into this is his world again let me say this uh, we're going to talk more about the impact because you know young people the next generation is not necessarily asking is christianity true they're asking is christianity good and we'll look a little bit about that at Easter, the impact on all spheres that Jesus brought. But in, in nations where there's not a dominant influence or a, not, not, let me, dominant's a bad word to use because when Christianity as a religion has gone and dominated, it's always backfired and been bad. But when there hasn't been a, um, a substantive Christian influence of genuine disciples of Christ, uh, they are still writing books about this uh, view of women and the gender population and control today. But back then, something began to change. Something began to change with one solitary, simple Jewish carpenter. I want to share with you just two stories. I think many of you know the story of the first evangelist being women and how women traveled with Jesus. They weren't uh, part of the official discipleship core of 12, but they traveled with him. They actually worked to support them financially. And you know that he ministered to the sinful women and to sick women and to old and to young uh, and to those who were oppressed and those who were possessed. And you probably know a little bit about that. But two, uh, two stories from Scripture that are misunderstood but, but lend credence to this idea of Jesus saying what you call trash, I call treasure. And holding women and holding marriage in high regard. Two stories from Scripture that start with one day. 
The first one-day story, one day Jesus was speaking and a woman from the crowd said to him, blessed is the mother who birthed you and nursed you. That'd be cool. I was thinking about that in preparation for this sermon, thinking that'd be cool if one Sunday one of you stood up, maybe from the balcony for extra drama, and you just stood up and said, Pastor Reverend Robert Green, blessed is the woman who birthed you and nursed you. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd make me feel, it'd make me feel loved and special and sanctified and anointed. Touch not thou anointed. It made me feel special. Now, how would I respond to that? I'd be like, I mean, I, naturally, I'd, I'd be taken aback and security would start approaching them very fast. But I would probably say to that person, thank you, man. I love my mama too. By the way, shout out to my mom. She watches every week. You know, mom uh, is, my, is a big fan. Thank you, mom. Love you. Mom brought me into this world. So if someone said, blessed is the woman who birthed you and nursed you, I would say, shout out to my mama. But Jesus didn't say shout out to his mama. You know how Jesus responded in this one day story? Jesus said, when the the woman from the crowd said, blessed is the woman who birthed you and nursed you. Jesus said, blessed rather is the one who hears and obeys God. Now that is a deliberately edgy response. But hear what Jesus is saying. History, culture, context. Always history, culture, context. Understand the Bible, you guys who teach the Bible, history, culture, context. And what Jesus is saying here is, you have heard it said, and it has been said, and it's part of the culture that doesn't fully value women, that a woman's significance, her identity, worth, and value is found in being a, a, being a mother and bearing children. And Jesus is saying that motherhood and fatherhood both are a high and noble calling, but it ain't the highest calling. The highest calling is that you realize that we all realize we are image bearers, that we have a creator and he has stamped on us the image of God, everybody, and that's the highest calling. Women, you have value in the eyes of your creator, not because you're married, not because you have born a a child or children. It's because you are a daughter of the king. You are an image bearer. That's a one-day story. Another story familiar to some, especially probably to the women, you guys have probably, you gals have probably done a Bible study or two around this. But one day Jesus went into the home of Martha and Mary, sisters, and it, the story there in Luke 10 tells us that Martha was about hospitality and busyness and preparation. But Mary, you remember, was sitting at the feet of the Savior. And Jesus and Martha, but it tells us that she was troubled and she complained. She was troubled and she complained. When you're troubled, what do you do? You complain. That's what we do. When, when you're troubled about something, you complain. You may stuff it, but eventually like a beach ball, it's coming up. You're going to complain. And so Martha complained. She said, Lord, don't you care? When you, when you complain in prayer, when you talk to God, look, it, ha- it happens to me all the time. I got more of this in my future. Lord, don't you care? Look what's happening here. Don't you care? Look, look, don't you care? I'm doing the right thing. They're not doing the right thing. Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? And Jesus responds by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Only a few things are needful, really only one. And Mary has chosen the good part. And what she has do, is doing will not be taken away from her. Here's how we interpret that in America. We interpret that as Martha bad, Mary good. It's better to be a quiet contemplative than a busy activist which is a funny interpretation if you read all of Luke 10, because it's the same 
point where he tells about the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan doesn't say be a quiet contemplative. The Good Samaritan says, hey, there's somebody that's been robbed and beaten that needs help. Be a busy activist. Don't sit there and quietly contemplate that guy. Man, he's down. He's hurting. Go do something about it. So our interpretation of that would never be interpreted that way on first century ears. You see, stereotypes die hard. I ask you, I didn't get much of a response from you, but I ask you about who takes the trash out at your home if there's both genders, if there's male or female, husband, wife, or brothers and sisters. There's stereotypes, and a stereotype today, it was even deeper back then, but let's say in our day, if we gather, if you have a small group or family, uh, friends uh, come over, hopefully there'll be more and more of that in increasing measure uh, this summer and fall and beyond as we get back to um, life in a social context. But men are oftentimes gathered around the grill or the TV, am I right? And women, correspondingly, are in the kitchen often. Now, old patterns die hard. And so Martha, Martha had chosen what was culturally acceptable for women cooking and cleaning. But Mary, by contrast, had chosen what's culturally acceptable for men to sit at the feet and be a disciple. You see, even that phrase, sitting at the feet, is the idea of apprenticeship. It's being a student. It's submitting and learning to somebody. And you see what Jesus is doing here in the story. I mean, we can apply it any way we want to, I guess. You know, slow down and, and contemplate and all that stuff. Don't hurry about, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing's inherently wrong with that. It's just not the point of the story. And Jesus is saying, hey, here's what matters. It's for women and men to be followers of the God, of God to follow me, and it's open to all, and a stereotype is being lifted. So now, to our passage today, a few of you knew that I'd be preaching this passage. You wanted to come today or tune in today to watch the sacrificial lamb go to slaughter. First Peter chapter 3, uh, 1 to 7, uh, on the screen today. The same goes for you wives. I know we're not getting context here. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs, There are husbands who, indifferent as though they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same unanxious and unintimidated. The same goes for you husbands. Fellows, you're not off the hook. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Some of the women, because you have to remember, this was not an established religion. It had very little, if any, institutional feel to it, uh, much hierarchy to it at all. And women, some, many of them had come to faith earlier. And by the way, just as a point of, uh, of agreement, no one has ever been belittled or conjoled or nagged into the kingdom of God, ever. Uh, In fact, very few people today are being persuaded by impressive expositional argumentation into the kingdom. 
but to live well when we proclaim the excellencies of Christ and people see something different about our lives. In fact, even what we're talking about today, what if you lived and you honored everyone? Everyone. What if you honor people who weren't worthy of honor? Anybody married who realizes that sometimes the person you're married to doesn't seem to deserve honor in that moment? Or they're, they're operating very dishonorably, okay? Anybody? Anybody there? Look, y'all know the story of Abraham and Sarah? Just go back, man. I say this too many times, probably ad nauseum for some of you, but the Bible never airbrushes its characters, and Abraham, man, he brought some serious dysfunction up into that family. Man, Sarah was a saint. But you read what Abraham did, man. That joker messed up time and time again. And he was not that honorable. And so this is a hard word. Like, I'm, I don't win popularity points. This is a hard word. It, I, I admit, it's a hard word to receive today. It's counter to our culture. It's paradoxical. It doesn't seem like the right way. The right way, it seems, is to exert yourself, to stand up for yourself, uh, to be loud and to clamor and to make sure everybody does your wishes, your whims, and does things your way. But he points here and he says, there's something different here. So for the balance of this message, I want to look through uh, my life. I invite you to something, a lot of similarities probably between yours and mine, but I'm a, I'm a husband and I'm a father of three. I have two boys and a girl, I've got a, a girl who's a freshman in college, a lot of you know, I, I, she has no chance in the world. She's a redhead, an only daughter, a middle child, and a pastor's kid, no hope for, for my Haley. But I see this, and I want to just preach this in the balance of our time through uh, these two ideas. What kind, they'll be here at 11, but what kind of wife do I pray that my sons will find one day? And then at the end, what type of husband do I pray that my daughter would find one day. I'm a little more emotional about that one for some reason. I don't know what it is. You with me, some of you. So here's what Peter is saying. Peter's saying a calm confidence in Christ. I would invite you, if you notice today, I didn't say turn in your Bible. And if some of you notice today, you're gonna make fun of me for this. You might even come at me, but I flipped the switch from the ESV and went for a more palpable translation. So you study this on your own and get a good commentary we can have some back and forth if you're uh, willing to this week but there's a lot that's said here but peter asserts that a woman's strength is calm confidence in christ can i tell you today that i pray for my boys i pray for them to get to graduate college and be gainfully employed i pray for them the, the three most important missions, I learned this in college, your, your three most important decisions you'll make is your master, your mission, and your mate. For some of you, your calling could be singleness, and that can be a gift from God. Steward it wisely. This passage uh, indicates that, women, you don't need a man to find your identity, your worth, and your value. Like, I want my daughter to know that, but I want, I want my sons to find a woman who's calm has calm confidence in Christ. That she would find her identity, worth, and value in Jesus Christ and not look for that in my sons. You hear me say this, but man, Susan is a wonderful spouse, but a terrible savior. She could say the same thing about me. And when we look to each other to find our identity, worth, and value, no, like no one can bear that weight. Don't put, you guys who aren't married, guys and gals who aren't married, who hope to be married one day, don't go in. Because here's marriage, there's the ideal 
then oftentimes there's the ordeal, and then you're looking for a new deal. And a lot of times with the idea, we go in with, oh, this person, I'm going to walk down that aisle. Now, we've been fighting all, we've been stressing about this wedding, but I'm going to walk down this aisle. And I'm going to stand up here with the preacher man. I'm going to be looking good. And all of a sudden, he or she's going to end my loneliness and ensure my happiness. And just, uh, they're just going to make everything right and go away. And putting on one of these, and by the way, this is my original wedding ring from 24 years ago plus. But putting on one of these things doesn't magically make you any different. And Peter's saying, and he was married, by the way. Some of you are like, why could Paul talk? I've had many a person, particularly women. Why could Paul give advice? about You know, Peter was married. And Peter says the strength of a woman is calm confidence in Christ. Notice the phrase at the end. It says in this particular uh, paraphrase, it says that she would be uh, unanxious and unintimidated. Can I say this, and maybe some of you will pick up on this. There are some things, some virtues. There are some things, let's just say things. There are some things that masquerade as strength that actually promote fear and insecurity. But having a calm confidence in Christ, cultivating the inner beauty. Um, I know there'll, you'll, there'll be some pushback from this, but... Uh, Scripture gives us indication that Jesus was not necessarily a very good-looking man. And Peter points this. By the way, the example is always Jesus, always Jesus, always Jesus, always Jesus. What about that preacher who fell? What about that person? What about, what about that leader? What about that writer? What about that apologist? What, fall, 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 disgrace, disgrace. The, le- the person's always Jesus. What about that person in the Bible? Well, okay, there's some good examples, but uh, the example's always Jesus. And Jesus didn't attract people because of studly good looks. It was his inner disposition that attracted people, especially the broken, lost, and lonely. So don't look to outside adornment, develop inner character. It was Jesus' inner disposition that made him so captivating and compelling. And it can be true for us. Peter here puts it at the feet of women. Can I give a challenge here? Ladies, be that kind of woman. So Peter says to the men, he says to them, the same is true. If you notice the language of equality, the language of equality, husbands, the same is true for you. And then notice our word honor again. We see it again. Honor them and delight in them. Honor them, there it is again, that's our word for the day, the third H word that Peter impressed upon his listeners long ago and to us today, is to live life with your wife and to do so to honor her and delight in her. What kind of husband do I pray that my daughter will find one day? Someone who honors and delights in her. If you ask Susan, y'all, y'all, can I give you some good news? Anybody open for some good news? Th- things are trending. Eric's with me. Things are trending in the wrong direction. But if you were to ask, we're just in a good season in our marriage. Can I say that? We're like, anybody want some good news? Anybody want some hope? If you ask Susan about us, she would say, I think she would say this. 
Daniel can't believe I'm doing this. He's a phone call to his parents. He's a Bible by the bed. He's the t-shirt that I'm wearing. He's a song stuck in my head. He's solid and he's steady like the Allegheny he runs. He knows just where he's going and he's proud of where he's from. One of the good ones. We are. For real. He's one of the good A couple times this song has come on the radio lately. And uh, I've turned it up. And let me brag a little bit. Susan knows most of the words and she has sung it out loud to me. This is a good season for us. Anybody want some good news? That it ain't all bad. It ain't all bad. But let me ask you, or let me get you to ask me, how did... How did we get here? Again, it's not perfection. It's just the right direction in 24 plus years. Now, 27 years ago when we met, I flirted with her in Colorado and she didn't sing this song that she's singing to me 27 years later. She sang that song by the Supreme, Set Me Free, Why Don't You Babe? She actually got on a stage at a coffee shop and sang it out loud to me because I'd been flirting with her and she wanted me to step up to the plate. And She sang that song, You Just Keep Me Hanging On. And I was sitting there going, Woo, that girl... She looks good, and I didn't know she, Bethany, she can sing. She can sing. She needs to be up here, y'all. She's hiding that talent under a bushel. But she can sing, you know this? She can sing, and she sang to me, and I'm like, mm. And I, I didn't want to set her free. I want to see where this thing can go. But listen to me today. How did we get here? God's grace. God's grace. But I want to give you a few words. One is practice. One is practice. Man, we've worked on it, and we've worked on it, and we've wanted to quit. But let me tell you the greatest gift that we have. It is turning up a silly song and having her sing to me in the car and knowing the words is awfully cute. But the greatest gift that we have in our marriage is friendship. It's our friendship. It's the way that we can honor and delight in each other. I talk to a lot of young guys and uh, they're struggling early on. Man, we did, we have, we will. But in the early struggles, a lot of guys will say to me, they'll say, man, she, bro, she's, you know, hey, you we sit down for coffee. Hey, man, she's, uh, they don't want to tell me any secrets. They don't want to tell anything really specifically bad. Like she's, man, she's, um, pastor, she's, man, she's, uh, she's, she's, uh, she's different. Yeah, she's different. I, I can fill in the blank. I don't out of, uh, you know, out of dignity. But I could fill in the blank. She, she's di- yeah, she's different. Is she different? She's different. And they, they go on. And here's usually the, the angst in them is that uh, she's not like my friends. And so they kind of already drawn a conclusion. Hey, she's not like my bro. She's not like my boys. She's different. So I don't know when I can be sarcastic. I don't know when I can be, when I have to straighten up. I don't know when I can share this. I don't know when I can be real or fake. Or uh, She's just different. She's really different. So I'm going to be friends with my boys and I'm going to do romance with her. And I tell every man, I'm telling a bunch of you now, look, friendship is the best part of it. In that friendship, there's this space. And let me tell you about this space. For every guy who says, I got her, I got her, check. What preacher say, master, mission, mate, got, got, the, got the mate, check. The space between you and marriage is dynamic. It is responsive and there's a space and what you allow in that space and what you choose to put in that space is very important. Put friendship there and honor and delight in her. Susan wins every time in showing honor and delight in my life. I'm not just saying it, but I'm telling you, she's an example of Christ 
in my life. I've tried, in fact, I've writing things down in ways I can honor her. A few weeks ago, she wanted to go see her sister in Austin, Texas. She didn't have to ask me for permission, but I'm like, let's make sure she can go to Austin, Texas to see her sister give birth to their, uh, their baby boy. I showed him a couple of weeks ago, but man, a trip to Austin. On Friday, I was... Uh, I thought, what can I do today to honor Susan? She's gonna make, she's gonna give me a hard time for telling you this, but I remember a couple of months ago, she said, I like Arby's. I'm like, you don't like Arby's. I've never been to Arby's. I've never taken you Arby's. I've never seen you eating Arby's. What's, what's this Arby? We didn't even see a commercial about Arby's. She goes, I know. I just sometimes crave Arby's. Well, on Friday, I drove across town. There's no Arby's in Fonda. There's no Arby's anywhere around me that I know of. And I just drove all the way to that one on Ridgeland and I got her Arby's and I texted. I was so proud of myself. I said, I'm bringing you Arby's. You be home in 20 minutes. I, I just, by the way, I dropped it off and left. All right, I just wanted to do something for it, to honor. Listen to me, fellas, whether it's Austin or Arby's, you figure out your thing. And the, a lot of English translations of 1 Peter 3 say live with her in an understanding way. And an understanding way means be a student of what she likes. And that's what you do with a lot of your bros. You know their team. You know the team statistics. You know how they did this year, how they're doing last year. Learn that stuff. Learn that about your wife. Very quickly, four phrases in this paraphrase of 1 Peter 3. The first is weaker. This does not fall well. I'm sorry, that's in another translation, but this does not fall well on modern ears. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean mental capacity. It doesn't mean moral strength. It doesn't mean strength of character. What it means is physical strength. Fellas, listen in, especially you younger men. This is a, a scientific thing. It's, it's a physical thing. Now, I'm sure there's some women in the room or watching at home that could maybe outbench me or deadlift me. That's probably a possibility. I'm scanning the room. I don't really see it. But anyway, it's possible. It's possible that that could be true. But here's what I'm saying. If I said to you and gave you a challenge to go find the 1,000 strongest people on the planet, guess what? They'd all be men. Now, guys, we can gloat in that, but we shouldn't. What that means is it's an extra responsibility for you and for me. It means that we're physically stronger. And let me say this with great fear and trepidation. Most cultures, including our own, also give men an advantage. Okay? Just culturally with open doors and opportunity and stuff like that. Can we be honest? And so we need to be careful not to glory in our guyhood, but to use that strength and that responsibility. Two, two weeks ago when I last preached... On hope. I showed a Michael Phelps clip. Anybody remember? And Ray Lewis, it was a, a quick three minute story from ESPN. Ray Lewis had given Michael Phelps a book about hope, about the purpose driven life, about what on earth are we here for. And I remember when I was watching that clip, I remember of my encounter years ago with Ray Lewis. I remember being in Coral Gables and living with Ken Osley and Daryl Burgess. We were all in ministry. Daryl worked with athletes, an African-American guy who had played college football himself. And we got a call from the, one of the coaches and the team chaplain. Daryl was a, a chaplain himself. And we got a late-night phone call that a freshman athlete at the University of Miami, widely recruited, had got in trouble on campus in a domestic dispute with a girl inside his apartment. And he was outside when we showed up with campus police to talk to this young man. And I remember thinking how badly that could have gone. And we don't know the full gamut of what actually happened. But I think of that and I think of a strong man who it looks like has got his life turned around. But men, we never, ever, ever use our strength in that way against women. The second phrase is a good one. Treat your wives as your equals. Why? 
Any guesses why you should treat your wife as your equal? Because she is. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, that was unheard of. Property. If someone damages your car, you know what happens today? You get compensation. It's your car. If someone damaged a wife back then, who gets compensation? Not the woman, but the man. Treat her as your equal revolutionary thought to Peter because she is and she is another phrase co-heirs also in the Greco-Roman world there was no inheritance for women no they didn't inherit land they didn't inherit wealth they didn't inherit rights it was foreign and here is this revolutionary concept by the way y'all wonder what got some of the things that got Jesus to the cross I mean he he was born and lived and died in a political system in a political world and these early followers of Jesus, man, were run out. They had ideas of, of who, who should be honored and who should be loved. And it's everybody. And the rights of people who were treated as trash were elevated. Treasure them. Treasure marriage and treasure family. She is your equal. Treat her that way. And she's a co-heir. Uh, Galatians 3, famous passage of there is no, neither Jew nor fr- Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. And it says we've all been adopted. We're, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all sons and daughters of the king in Jesus Christ. And thus, we're co-heirs. The, the final phrase here, it says this, fellas, so your prayers don't run aground. As our team begins to come up and we close, listen, this is super important. This is super important. Now, it sounds like a heavy word, so that your prayers don't run aground. Look, God is not saying, I remove the relationship, I remove your salvation, I take away my love. But here's what's on the table. His listening, his willingness to listen to your prayers, yeah, that's on the table. And it's, it, it's, it's in proportion to how you honor and delight and treat her. Now, if that seems like a hard, hard word, let me, let me just say it is and it's not, I get it. Let's just say that my daughter marries one day and that husband doesn't treat her well. And she comes to us, she's with us and she says, you know, he he never helps and he's never home and I can see the pain in her beautiful blue eyes. Now let's say that husband of hers comes to me the very next day and says, hey, pop or whatever he's going to call me. And he says, hey, I'm thinking about buying a boat and I, I wonder if you could, you know, loan me some money for the boat. Now, what's my response going to be? Any guesses? Things I wouldn't say in church. Man, if you're, if, if you're not interested in personal obedience, I don't want to hear your personal request. And if you're not treating my daughter well, if you're not honoring everybody, if you're not showing her honor and delight, your prayers are going to run aground. And fellas, we like images, and that's a vivid image. In other words, it ain't going where you intended it to go. I want every man in this room and at home, I want your life in Jesus to go where he intends it to go. And so it's important that honor is a part of our lives. Would you stand with us? And let me pray, and we'll sing before we go. Father, thank you for this word, and thank you for um, the fact that in some ways it cuts against the grain of uh, today. And we live in this world that tells us uh, to treasure this and largely treasure ourselves and largely treasure IG and 
Instagram's uh, likes and filters and outward adornment. But Lord, there's a calm confidence and there's an honoring and a delighting. And I love, God, there's this equality. God, I pray for every space. If it's a space between the lonely person and their spouse or their lonely person and nobody, an unnamed person to love in the future, God, I pray that you help us in the space to fill it with honor and to know that Jesus, our example, our Savior, our Lord, gave his life for us and took on, even at times, dishonor and disgrace to honor you, to bring you glory and forgiveness to souls that need it. God, would you help us as a church live distinct and different to not just say, hey, what's our culture doing and we'll trend right along with it, but we'll be willing to be distinct no matter the consequences. In Jesus we pray, amen.